I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woo-hoo. Well, uh, this week we have a light and fluffy topic for everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this week we want to talk about grief, which feels pretty appropriate at this time of year. Um and we've been making a lot more material um, for the the mental health section of the neurological and emotional health course um, the past week. And we've been talking a lot about grief. So being that it is Samhain or Halloween or whatever you culturally refer to this time of year as um, it feels it feels right to talk about grief right now. Yeah. Before we dive in, we wanted to remind you that we are not doctors or psychiatrists, for that matter. (laughs) We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some good information to think about and to research more. Yeah. And we just want to remind you that good health is your right and your own personal responsibility. And this means that the final decision when you're considering any course of therapy, whether it's been discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, is always yours. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, to jump into this, let's maybe start off by defining grief. Sure. Which might sound like a strange thing to say it needs a definition, but in our culture, it really seems like there's only one permissible time to feel grief, and that's if a person very close to you dies. And and even that like has to be defined as very close. Like if the person isn't perceived as close enough to you or like important enough in your life, um, then culturally, you're not necessarily allowed to have grief for their death. Um, culturally, you might be ridiculed for feeling sadness or, um, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that really happens. You know, but everyone, uh, everyone experiences grief and everyone experiences it in a somewhat different way because that's how experience goes <laughs> in, in humans and uh, in subjective reality. But grief has so many different facets, even for, even for any one person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your grief is not only one thing. It's, it's going to express itself in different ways. So, um, you know, loss, death, uh, that's real, and that's going to contribute to grief, but that's not limited only to a very close relative. You can feel grief to lose anyone who's important to you, mm. even the ones who are not human. Yeah. You know? uh, and, you know, people are familiar with that when it's like a, a pet, you know. Like my dog or my cat. a dog for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but sometimes we've we've realized that uh, one of the favorite trees that I used to walk by every day on my way to work has been cut down mm-hmm. and like feeling some grief for that. And not everybody really understands. Right. <laughs> or like another national park and conservation area has been opened up to logging or drilling or whatever. And yeah. not everybody acknowledges that that loss is valid for grief. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, so you can lose a relationship. Uh, you can lose a job. You can lose an identity, uh, a dream, uh, a long held expectation. And any of those losses can lead to grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, grief can be a factor in so many different kinds of hurt as well, right? The hurt you experience when someone lets you down 
or when you feel like you're completely unsupported by people that you think should be supporting you, <laughs> uh, or the hurt that we cause ourselves when we're experiencing self-loathing kind of feelings. So there's lots of ways that we can experience grief. Yeah. So that's kind of the first thing, right, is to open up our definition of grief and um, in that work, I can't believe I have to say this, but also to legitimize grief. Feelings are feelings. And if you are feeling something, then you are. So that feeling might not be convenient or it <laughs> might surprise you. It might embarrass you. It might not serve you, but it's a feeling and you are feeling it. So it is a thing. It is real. That's your real feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is also a good time to note that feelings are uh, just feelings. Yeah. I, yeah. They're, they're in, inherently legitimate, right? Because they exist, because you're experiencing them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't have to act on every one of them, or maybe even to act on the, the first most way that rises to, to mind right, right, <laughs> uh, right. of any one of them. You know, if I feel grief and I want to lash out at someone to transfer my pain away for a while, that action is not legitimate, right? But the feeling of wanting to do that, that that's human. That's that's something everybody does. Animals do it too, yeah. you know? So it, yeah. when we make this big statement like, all of your feelings are legitimate, we don't want that to be misunderstood to mean, and they're all true in exactly the way you thought they were the first time you noticed the feeling, <laughs> and you should act on them in whatever way makes it feel better right now. Right. Even for a short moment. Yeah, no, that's not quite what we're getting to. <laughs> right, that actually gets really wound up in the whole tricky part of this. Um, because when we have a feeling, whether it is grief or anger or fear, whatever, we have options about that feeling. <laughs> that feeling is real. It, it is there. But we can respond to that feeling, which is to say we can be aware of it and take action that is healthy and helpful. Or we can react to that feeling, which is to say we can act out on how we feel without really thinking through the implications of our actions. And honestly, that's where Christmas decorations come into our story here. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> wait, wait, wait for it. It's coming. <laughs> right. But because in order to respond to a feeling, to respond rather than reacting, we need to take a little time to be with it. Right. Mm-hmm. When we don't sit with it, when we don't spend a little time getting to know the feeling, to understand the shape of it, then we just react. And that's where we can get it into trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, that act of hurting other people to transfer our pain, that's a reaction and a very common one. But it's like, ah, get it, get it away from me. Get it out of me. Give it to someone else if, if I have to, you know? <laughs> yeah, hot uh, potato. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's natural, but it doesn't make it okay. Yeah. For, for anybody in the, in the circumstance, right? Not for the person you throw your pain onto, and not for you either. Yeah. yeah. So today is Samhain, or Halloween, or all the different ways that different cultures refer to this time. It is the, the death of the year. And traditionally, this is a time when we're acknowledging death. We are honoring our ancestors, facing our own fears about death. And here, death, I mean, not just in terms of mortality, but also in terms of change or in letting go, like changing who we are, changing how we behave, letting go of things that we don't need anymore. Mm. And that's work. Allowing ourselves to let go of things and move past them is hard. And it, it takes a season. It doesn't just happen overnight. But in our current culture, we don't really have the time to do this work. 
we actively crowd out this kind of work, actually. We've cut out bitter things from our food, right? We invented high fructose corn syrup and we dismissed all the bitter foods, except like coffee and we put a lot of sugar oh, in yeah. that, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. um, we have cut bitterness out of our story and our media environment, right? We are the land of movies with happy endings and the underdog wins and all of that. Um, we've cut them out of our work environment, right? Smiling, happy customer service 100% of the time, which by the way, nobody can actually do, right? We are not customer service robots. And we've even cut time for introspection around death and, and these sorts of feelings of grief, we have cut them out of the calendar because Christmas decorations start showing up in stores before Halloween has even happened. And even at that, of course, Halloween has also been shifted mm -hmm. from a time that we think about our ancestors and think about what death means to us to like this giant orgy of sweetness. We have covered over all of those grief and bitter feelings with candy. Right? Mm. So the message here that we're getting from all the parts of our culture is don't think about death. Don't think about dark things. Just be happy all the time. Don't, don't ever take the time to think about what these things mean. Yeah. And removing a time like that, a remo removing from our, from our wheel of the year, uh, a time where we're culturally allowed and expected uh, and together working to spend some time wrestling with these darker thoughts, mm -hmm. right? When we take that out of our lives, that's actually not great for our mental health. Yeah. It's like this giant middle finger right into the face of the existence of grief at all. Yeah. And while we might like to not have it in our lives anymore, it is inevitable. So, you know, as a group, we're over here saying, no, no, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. And there's no time to reflect, to be introspective, to respond to our grief rather than just reacting to it because we've tried as much as possible to make it not a thing. And uh, that doesn't really allow you to spend the time to get to know it, yeah. to to feel the shape of it, and then to change the way that you respond. Um, so, yeah, so we get stuck that way. Yeah. You know? Even aside from the culturally allocated time when we as a group, as a society, are supposed to practice taking time to think about these darker, weighty emotions, um, even like in our own personal lives, we are constantly offered distractions and mental stimulation that that fill the space so that we can't really do this work, right? In the form of another bingeable Netflix series or doom scrolling on Twitter or whatever. And these distractions, we sort of think of them as filling empty space. Like maybe you're looking at Twitter in line at the grocery store or something like that, like while you're waiting for something. But but that space is not actually empty, right? Historically, we would have had so much more empty space in our lives. And, and we would have used that time for introspection. Whether or not that introspection would have been successful is a totally different <laughs> issue, right? Because yeah. in introspection is difficult. Um, and doing it and then successfully working with what you find there is... it's not easy. Um, so I don't mean that it just magically happened when there weren't electronic inputs, but at least we had much more time to work on it. Hmm. If you if you think about hours spent gardening or spinning wool or working wood or working in the fields or tending animals, all of that without podcasts or even <laughs> radios, you know, like whatever, that time of repetitive physical work um, 
freed up our minds to kind of percolate on all the stuff that's inside. And that's time that human brains have actually always had. We evolved in that kind of environment with plenty of time to sort through our thoughts and feelings. Um, And every time we do, every time we get them out and look at them, we change them a little bit, right? That can be good. We can soften. We can feel differently in the morning, you know. Um, We can acknowledge sometime later oh, maybe I was wrong about that, you know? Of course, also, we can spin ourselves up and become more angry or more hurt or more, you know, regretful, whatever. That is absolutely a thing that happens to you. And I don't mean to imply that if we just simply didn't have podcasts and radios and whatever else, then obviously we would all say, oh, maybe I was wrong, (laughs) you know, like whatever. And, you know, occasionally a podcast can uh, help you to investigate your feelings and uh, see yourself a little more clearly. (laughs) Sometimes a podcast could do that. Yes, hopefully. (laughs) You know. Um, But at any rate, this work, this introspection needs to be done regularly. It is like doing the dishes, right? Like we need some time to tidy up our emotions intentionally, We do this physiologically as we tidy up the brain, as we clear out metabolic waste with the glymphatic system and and, um, all the different ways that we clear out things out, we process things. But we, we have to allocate some time to do that work. And our brains developed in an environment where we had plenty of time to do that work. Yeah. There's also a, an element here around <clears throat> the grief that we associate with our own ideas of ourselves mm-hmm. and the pain that we feel when we've been hurt or when we've been let down by other people. There's this kind of grief that isn't associated necessarily with loss or with death, but with the ways that we've been treated by others and the way that we've treated ourselves. <laughs> so there needs to be some time to recognize that that pain And in that recognition is the invitation to do the work to transform the pain Mm -hmm. or our relationship to it. But again, our culture doesn't really make space for this. And honestly, this is the work that we do when we seek out something like therapy. But in many places, there's still a really strong stigma around around people seeking out therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Therapy is really just talking through our pain and our behaviors around that pain and trying to find ways to live more comfortably within our skin which is often what we talk about with our friends, you know, our family. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, but a, a therapist is someone who's had training in the ways uh, to make that kind of transformation, you know, mm-hmm. guide people through it. But in a culture uh, or in a living situation, you know, uh, where there are is this kind of stigma still attached to seeking therapy, mm-hmm. we do need to recognize that that implies a kind of hostility to seeking time to engage in this work at all, you know, yeah. even on, on your own power. Um, but it is something that needs to be done regularly. It's like you said, it's like doing the dishes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it is uncomfortable to do this sort of self-reflection work or this building awareness uh, work, this acknowledging of the things in our lives and in our behaviors that are causing us pain and grief. Um, maybe it's a little easier when it's sort of clear cut like a death. Although I don't think I've ever met a death that wasn't also complicated. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, every every part of this work is complex, regardless of the origin of the grief. Yeah. Um, but we still have to do the work, 
um, for our own emotional and mental health and for our growth as people. And then especially for those of us who are practicing herbalists, uh, who want to work with other people, it is important to do this work so that we can do our work with others. If we're not pushing ourselves to grow and change in ways that are healthier for us, um, and to take the time to look at our pain and our grief and to see how that shapes our behaviors, and then to make the changes that are necessary for us to live more comfortably or to say, to live in better mental health, um, then how can we ask other people to grow and change in order to build healthier lives for themselves? Because as clinical herbalists or as herbalists who work with the public, that is what we're doing. Hmm. Um, you, you like, I think every single part of herbalism involves behavior change. Even if that behavior change is just, you're going to drink this tea three times a day, it is still a change in uh, the way that you go through your normal day. Yeah, right. You know, and to be clear, this doesn't mean that in order to be a helpful practitioner, we need to have all of our own issues totally <laughs> under control. Yeah. Everything's battened down. Everything's totally fine in here, right? Um, it just means that we need to make sure that we are working on our own awareness mm -hmm. of, of the issues that we carry, right? Yeah. Working through our own issues makes us better practitioners. Dealing with our challenges as we make changes in our own lives helps us to have more creativity and inspiration when folks ask us to help them make those kinds of changes in their lives. You, you know? know, and even just to have more compassion when someone comes in, they're like, I just can't give up sugar. And um, you're like, yeah, I struggle with that too. I also struggle with giving up sugar. And so here are the ways that I found to support that change. And here are the places where I'm still having trouble and we can struggle in that together. Mm -hmm. um, that is... Uh, a wonderful feeling of camaraderie in this life, right? To to hear from a person that you've come to for help that they too have that kind of struggle. Nobody wants to be like, oh, well, it's easy for you and I guess there's something wrong with me. Like, so as practitioners, we don't have to think, oh, I always, like, I have to be the one who does it right. That's not a role that we need to inhabit. And that's good because it's also not a role that we can inhabit because we are human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the end. If yeah. only we could be plants, then maybe we would have that all figured out. <laughs> right. Or cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Helpful. Helpful cats. <laughs> I want to be in the podcast. Um, you know, in our practice, uh, our personal practice, uh, the two of us, and, and practice here, this isn't just the herbal work that we do, but also, also our spiritual practices, our life practices, we see this time of the year as a time to work through the things that we don't need anymore, right? And uh, always October is a, it's a difficult month, <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> you know, as we... It's as not we, the most fun month of the year. <laughs> as we approach uh, Samhain, as we, as we approach this time. Um, but, you know, this is, this is uh, a time of the year to work through things that we don't need anymore, habits that aren't serving us, mm -hmm. grudges that don't need to get carried around any longer. Uh, old ways of thinking that are holding us back, patterns of reaction, reaction to pain or to grief that we're trying to avoid, mm -hmm. uh, patterns that we're trying to recognize and trying to change, whatever it might be. Sometimes these things identify themselves as blocks in our lives that we need to get to work removing in order for, in order for us to move forward. And other times we might become aware of them through contemplation, meditation. But... Uh, sometimes these things have been with us for a really long time, for so long that we don't realize the negative impact that they're having. 
And then we need to spend some time in awareness to identify them and to recognize that it's time to let it go. Yeah. We try to take this whole season, right? The dead time of the year when the plants have all died back and the days are growing shorter um, as we move towards the solstice to not just identify these things and reflect on them, but also to find better ways to respond to them in awareness um, and to let go of the things that we don't need. The work doesn't happen overnight. So honestly, we need this whole season to uh, work on identifying and shifting into the changes that we need to make and also just practice. Like, just like when there is a loss, you kind of have to practice living without that thing, living without, you know, how do you get up in the morning and make your coffee and go through your day? Um, That is true if it is the loss of a loved one or if it is the loss of a habit. Either way, you still need to wake up in the morning and figure out how you get through your day as a different person in a changed environment, even if you are the one choosing to make the change. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first thing uh, about taking some time to build some awareness around what things we maybe don't want to bring with us into the new year is to make some space for introspection or call it meditation, call it prayer, whatever Mm. framework you, you have for that. Uh, whether that's going for a walk without some headphones for once, uh, <laughs> letting your mind ponder while you're doing some chores, or taking some specific meditation time aside to do this work. Um, you know, we both find that repetitive physical activity can be really helpful mm-hmm. for getting into this space and doing this kind of work. It can be more comfortable than just sitting still. And when our hands are busy with work that we don't really have to think about so much, our minds, uh, they have time and they have space to, to turn to other things. Yeah. Even once you have identified the things that you want to work on, it still does not happen magically. Um, it's difficult to do this work, even if we know that holding on to this stuff is painful, right? It's still a pain that we know. Um, we've spent a long time with these thoughts. We've spent a long time with these habits. We've spent a long time with these identities or grudges or whatever else it is that we are ready to to part ways with. We're ready to lose them, actually. But letting go of them brings with it aspects of fear and uncertainty. Like, what will I be if I'm not that? What will I be if I let go of that grudge? What will I be if I release the anger and just focus on the pain um, and the grief that comes around with that? And honestly, even letting go of grief is challenging. Like, it's sadness (laughs) if you would rather be happy But especially when grief has been with you for a long time, it's part of who you are. It is hard, even though it seems like it would be a relief, it is still hard to let go of it. And then there can be frustration because despite our best intentions to make the changes that we see as valuable, um, and despite our dedication to those changes, the old habits creep back in sometimes. And we have to hold on to that intention to change over time. And practice not only letting the things go, but practice being who we are without them. Whatever that them is, whether that is a loved one, a habit, or whatever, the thing that we are grieving, we have to learn who we are now that that is not in our lives in the way that it was before. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. All right. So now that we've spent all this time saying, wow, this is hard stuff, 
Uh, it's time to think about some ways that we can make that easier, including some plants that can help you uh, in this yes. work. Right? It can be with us with that. Yes. So, you know, all these different forms of grief, they, they do require this kind of sustained effort, this kind of figuring out how to live differently than we did before. They require us to have the courage to see our grief, maybe just in a little short spurt, you know, uh, one moment at a time. Yeah. You don't have to sit there and stare at it all day long. <laughs> um, but, you know, to see it, to get to know it, to make friends with it, even though, okay, that sounds kind of cliche, make friends with your grief, you know, <laughs> yeah, all of that. But it is a good analogy, honestly. Uh, what is it? What is required to make friends with somebody? Well, it doesn't happen in one moment. It doesn't usually happen, like, overnight, you know? You have yeah. to figure out who that person is and see them in different contexts and see them when they're having a rough day and when they're having a good day and every kind of day in between to really yeah. know somebody, to, yeah. to have a, a, a real friendship with them. Um, so that's the same kind of thing we're going to need to do uh, with grief and, and herbs can help us get yes. into those mental spaces. Yes, herbs are going to be really helpful throughout all of those. Um, before we talk about the herbs, there's one more thing that I want to add in here. Um, and that is to focus just for a moment on the reality that everyone's grief is different. Um, there are cycles of grief and stages, but also our own personalities and our cultural norms and just the reality of day-to-day -day life play into our experiences of grief. So in other words, if a dear loved one has died, that doesn't mean that you're never allowed to laugh again, right? Mm. That doesn't mean that um, you can't go back to work and work hard. You're allowed to hold your grief in one space so that you don't have to sit with it 24-7. You're allowed to not talk to people about it and not want people to talk about it to you. Uh, you're allowed to go out to dinner. You're allowed to live your life. And you're also allowed to fall apart and cry all day long. You're allowed to take time off of work, assuming that you're allowed to take time off of work. Um, you're allowed to only talk about your sadness and you're allowed to do all of these things concurrently, you know, from one minute to the next, feeling a little bit differently about how you want to interact with your grief. You can be as private or as public or as conflicted or as contained or whatever the opposite of contained is, um, whatever you are, you're allowed to be who you are. And you're allowed to be in relationship with your grief in the way that you are. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where that part fits in our discussion here, but I really wanted to make sure that we say it because our society has not just constrained the conditions under which we're allowed to use the word grief, but also what expressions of grief uh, are allowed to look like. Hmm. So I really want to be clear that it's allowed to look like what it looks like for you. I can remember years ago, a psychiatrist I was working with mentioned that these days, if you were still sad two weeks after your spouse died, the guidelines were that you should be medicated so that you can function normally. I remember that. Yeah. Because, because you came home and told me about it and I was like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding? That can't be real. Yeah. But I mean, we, we both were, were really appalled. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about how utterly inappropriate it was because like, who is supposed to be over that kind of grief in, in two weeks? But the more that I thought about it, and I think this was 
probably true for both of us, Mm -hmm. the more that I realized that grief is really different for everyone. And the way that we handle our grief um, is really different for everyone. And the way that we seek help and support for our grief is different for everyone. And besides that, there are still bills to pay because Mm -hmm. we do not support one another in this culture. There may be children or dependents to take care of and who who knows what else. So um, although in that moment of hearing it, I, I felt like culturally it was such um, like a slap in the face. Yeah. And I mean, the problem well, so look, if somebody can process their grief in a couple of weeks and, and they're moving on with their life and they're, you know, all of that. Great. But, uh, to mandate and to say like, if you, if you haven't done it by this time, then now we need to give you drugs. That's what we object to. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Like we see that as inappropriate as, as something that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In reality, I want every person to have the time and the space to work through all of the ways in which we experience grief and all of the ways in which we're hurting. Um, but that process is just not going to look the same for every person. So what I really want is a society that creates space for everyone to do the work that they need to do to be healthy in the way that they need to do it. And, and that support for that is available, whether it is yes, in order to get through my day, I'm going to need to seek some psychiatric care and some maybe even medication Mm -hmm. or whether that is, I just need some time to like be in my room by myself or whether that is, I just want to go back to work and be in my work, whatever, whatever, whatever the expression is. I want us to have a society that can support one another through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also, you know, this, this individual variation in the way that grief is going to manifest for you and how you're going to move through it. That's also why there's not like, these are the herbs for grief. But, right. <laughs> you know, so we're going to, we're going to talk about some herbs now. Um, and remember, herbalism is always about the individual, at least the way we practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about uh, recognizing what's going on and what we are trying to shift or what we're trying to rebalance um, and then choosing herbs that can help to do that. So we have a number of ideas about herbs that we think could be relevant for uh, various kinds of grief processing work that you may find yourself doing, or you mm-hmm. may want to help somebody else to move through. Um, but this is not an exhaustive list. <laughs> um, and there are many other ways that herbs could be helpful here. Yeah, and also see this list as kind of like a buffet right. where you can, you know, when you... When you see the ones that that you think, oh, that is something I experience. I could use help with that. And then also this is something I experience and I could use help with that. Even if they're conflicting things or things that don't seem to to match one another, that's okay because you may feel them in different times or you may feel them at the same time that all these things are real. So sort of just take take the ones that you need in the moment that you need them to to manage what you are experiencing right then. Yeah. Well, uh, first herb that I'd like to speak about here is calamus. Yes. Yeah. So calamus, uh, it's a, a bitter rhizome, you know, lives near the water. It looks a lot like ginger. Or in the water, even. And uh, calamus is a really intriguing plant because it has a lot of bitterness to it, and it has pungency. It's like it's like ginger, but uh, with bitterness on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a really, that's the perfect way to say it. Yeah. Bitter ginger. Yeah. You'll see a number of bitter herbs uh, pop up in our discussion here. And in some ways, the bitter flavor can help us to process bitter emotions yeah. or to be more comfortable uh, with experiencing them. 
when we teach people how to work with bitters in like, you know, your first day of herbalism class, <laughs> it's, it, a large part of it is to say, just sit with the flavor. Just take it, taste it, make a face if you need to, you know, but uh, then let that flavor be there. and Let and, it in. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like you had mentioned, you know, we've cut out bitter flavor from our lives uh, in, in the U.S. And, and in the kind of monoculture to a large extent. Um, and uh, reintroducing bitter can be helpful just just in, in and of itself, just in that way. Um, but calamus is more than just a bitter plant. Mm. Calamus also has some effects on your mind and your emotions. Um, it has effects on your physiology, on your digestion, on you know, all that kind of thing. But, but on your mind and emotions as well, uh, calamus brings in this relaxant quality. Um, and specifically what we find is that it helps you to get out of like tunnel vision and open up into wide angle vision mm -hmm. and not just vision, but your other senses as well. Um, so, well, and that vision kind of goes in both ways, right? Like, um, if you think about introspection and the kind of vision that you're employing for introspection, you can be like very tunneled, like that hurt, that hurt, get away from it. That hurt. I don't mm -hmm. want it. I'm angry mm -hmm. about it, whatever. And then you can widen your, your view of that feeling. And you can say, I'm angry because I'm hurt and I want to get away from it because I feel sad and, and those sorts of feelings. And it helps you to kind of broaden your understanding of, of what you're looking at in your head yeah, <laughs> or see, in your you, wherever. You see more of the context. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I find calamus helpful to, to get into that introspective space or meditative space. It's a, it's a very helpful herb um, for people who have difficulty meditating. Take some calamus beforehand. Let that be part of the, part of the process that you go through mm -hmm. um, to get there. So, um, I want to put rose right here as well. Um, Rose is a plant that is very helpful when you need some protection. And doing this work is um, risky, you know, it's vulnerable, and it's not necessarily easy for us to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, even when we are only being vulnerable inside of our own selves, you know, like, even when we are the only ones seeing ourselves be vulnerable, it is still often very difficult to do. Um, and Rose, uh, Rose, I, I know that I have said this before, but I just can't get over the relevance of, of the, the physical structure of wild rose bushes. They're brambles. They, they are these long vines that arch over into kind of like umbrella forms. And they create these brambles. And if you look at them, there are little pathways through on the ground, through the brambles. And those little pathways are the bunnies and the squirrels and the little furry creatures who are prey animals, who are finding safety in the thorns of the, of the rose bush. They're small enough that they can get in there and hide in that space. And the hawks and the foxes and the other things that think they would be a delicious dinner can't get to them in that space. And that is like, that's it. Like a soft, furry, little vulnerable thing that what you want to do is hold and cuddle, right? Um, that's how you feel when you want to really open yourself to 
the truth of what's inside, you know, and doing that leaves us vulnerable to even to only ourselves, to those parts of ourselves that have learned to cut ourselves down, that have learned to tell ourselves we're not worth it, we're not good enough, we're not valuable, whatever we heard growing up, you know, whatever we heard from society, that we're not valid, we shouldn't even exist. Um, And those messages that we received, we also embody. And so when we open ourselves up, even just alone with our own selves, those things are still there waiting to pounce. And I think that's part of why this work is so scary. So, you know, I really love Rose in terms of providing that protective space. And I particularly love Rose and Calamus together in this in this context, because if we're going to work with Calamus to, to help ourselves open up, let's do that in the construct of, of a very safe space where, you know, the metaphorical foxes and hawks of our minds can't get in yeah 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 and i feel like we've had some excellent remedies or elixirs or something made with calamus and rose together yeah and, i actually uh, i have one right now that i've been really oh it's actually right here because i've been literally taking it a ton lately um this one is rose and hawthorn and calamus and also there's violet leaf in here too um, and violet is just sort of a, a very heart softening kind of a plant. Mm. Um, but this has been really wonderful. Um, and, and the hawthorn in there, um, you know, we often talk about hawthorn and linden um, both together as, um, you know, the very first herbs you hear about grief, you know. Um, and, and for hawthorn in that context, there's a lot that Hawthorne's got going for it um, in terms of physiologically supporting the heart, nourishing the heart, promoting blood flow to the heart, not blood through the heart, but blood, the blood that comes to feed the heart. Um, But also uh, sort of on the emotional level, the same, like nourishing the heart. um, Like when you feel that there's a hole in the heart to replenish what has been lost, and also Hawthorne has this tremendous thorn aspect as well, yeah. that it's not on the ground like it is a tree, but still um, the birds and even the squirrels and whoever can hide in there very effectively from larger creatures because the thorns are pretty intense. Those thorns actually um, are for uh, protecting the Hawthorne itself from uh, from the giant sloth, which doesn't, you know, that went extinct millennia ago but uh it was a creature that was enormous like three thousand pounds and would just strip entire branches of all their leaves and stuff those leaves in and so the thorns on a hawthorn are very large and really sharp and even the deer can actually nibble around those thorns without being hurt but something larger is gonna get poked by those thorns. And so I think that is much like we talk about Rose protecting from the hawks and the foxes. Like if your grief is bigger, 
if your grief and the things that are attacking your vulnerability are like three ton creatures that are trying to consume you whole um, so that you literally don't exist anymore, like that kind of intensity, um, yep. definitely Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hawthorne always makes me think of Lyndon, yeah. you know, uh, because not all of us have the problem of feeling you know, too exposed or not spiny enough. Some of us are plenty spiny already, thank you. <laughs> and that might have contributed to some of our issues in, in approaching our grief, right? Yeah. So some of us need uh, a softening remedy, and uh, Linden is just one of the softest herbs out there. Oh my <laughs> um, goodness. Linden is so gentle. We talk about Linden as a hug in a mug, um, and uh, it's it's just very soothing and, and very, it has a releasing quality as well. You know, mm-hmm. Linden, it, it does have these aromatic elements that, that can release tension and can allow things to, to exit our system. You know, when we think about um, fever, we think about a certain class of herbs called relaxing diaphoretics. And those are herbs that help you if you're fevering, but really like tense and tight mm. to loosen that, that tension in your muscles, but also in the, in the pores of the skin itself to allow the heat out of your system. Mm. And that also ha- functions similarly on an emotional level to take hot, tight, tense emotions and loosen them and allow them to, to exit your body, exit your system. Um, so Linden has that quality. And it also has this kind of restorative quality of moistening and bringing in more fluids and making sure those fluids are moving around your system well. Um, and uh, that that movement of inner fluids is also a really critical thing when we're thinking about kind of the, the physical substrate of the emotional experience of grief. Yeah. Um, so fluid movement is sometimes, sometimes accomplished with a, a moistening demulsant herb like linden, especially for dry folks like me, you know, <laughs> right? You can't move yeah. fluids if you don't have them. So yeah. sometimes that's the most important part. Uh, but we also work with lymphatic herbs when we want to move fluids around. And there's a couple of them that we find are really quite helpful when it comes to doing this kind of grief processing. Yeah, especially when we're thinking about moving fluids, right? Physi- physiologically, that's lymph. That is the extracellular fluid. Um, I suppose moving fluids, it can also be blood, but... What I'm really thinking about here is lymph and the extracellular interstitial fluids. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where we gather up our trash. That's where we gather up just the the day-to-day dishes, you know, the cellular dishes that need to be done every day. And um, that that metaphor is really helpful for me in terms of like, oh, I just need to tidy up. It is. It is one of my, yeah. Like, <laughs> gotta do the dishes. <laughs> like we gotta, we gotta tidy up in here. Um, and when, when we have been sitting around with grief feelings for a while, sometimes that's necessary in our experience of grief or in our process of processing grief. But Um, sometimes we also can get stuck in there and we can kind of stew in them a little bit too long. And then we think like, whew, I am really saturated in this feeling and I kind of need to get a little space from it. Um, so, so yeah, so that's why I think so much about these lymphatic herbs. And the first one is Heather. Physiologically, Heather has a great deal to do with simultaneously the heart and lymphatic movement. Um, and a long tradition of people working with Heather for edema and for 
um, fluid stagnation that comes along with cardiovascular health issues. And again, like I, the more that the longer that I have practiced, the more that I recognize that the physiological effects of herbs are the same as the emotional effects of herbs and vice versa. Um, and at first I wasn't really able to see that because our culture tells us that our emotions are just in our mind. And um, then the more that I learned about human bodies and animal bodies in general, and well, while I'm at it, also plant bodies. I know, right? um, <laughs> and also the body of the whole world, like um, the more that I, I started to see reflections of all these things mirrored in different species and even in, in the planet as a whole, and full ecosystems and whatever, the more that I realized, like, of course, this is all, like, we don't know where our emotions are, except we kind of do. Like, we know for sure. They've, they've done studies on people who, when they lose weight, old emotional issues come up because it, it's been, like, stashed in mm -hmm. between the fat cells. Like, <laughs> and we don't know what emotions look like under a microscope yet, though, who knows, maybe we're close. But we do observe that, that there is a direct physiological tie, and it's not all just in the physiology of the brain. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is where I really think a lot about getting all that stuff moving. And, and working with Heather, that is a plant that already has that heart affinity, just makes it really tailor-made to the movement that we require when, when we need to sort of, we kind of get a little bit stuck in our grief processing and we need to kind of get that going again. Yeah. And whenever I think of Heather, I also think about where it grows and I know it's not yeah. only, but I think of like the English Heath, you know, where it's cloudy and rainy and gray. And yeah. then you have these Heather flowers and they're like on this like partially exposed, uh, you know, rocky, you know, uh, spine of the land or something. Uh, but they're just hanging out, they're doing their thing. And then they make these beautiful little pink flowers and you come yeah. across them and you're like, yeah, there's some joy over in here, you know? Yeah. So Heather, uh, sometimes I picture it in a kind of grief struck environment, but it offers a little bit of delight. Yeah. <laughs> like really like cold, damp, windswept, poor soil, like often, uh, you know, with like a twinge of salt in the air or whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like the whole thing, like, yeah, like that's how you feel inside when you're like, also you know, I even think all the way down to the salt in the air, like, like, well, when you've been crying for a really long time, you mm. also feel a little over salty, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, self-heal. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so self-heal uh, or heal all, a very evocative common name for that plant. Yeah. Um, uh, self-heal is another one where it has that connection between the lymphatic movement, the circulating fluids in the system, um, and uh, in part because of that, and, and in part for other reasons, it can protect and it can support heart function, mm -hmm. cardiovascular function. Um, and self-heal, I think, I think the name of it is important. I think that when we are trying to heal ourselves, it can be helpful to have a plant that's been, that's been given that name, that's been recognized as, like, this is an herb that heals wounds, you know? All the kinds of wounds, mm -hmm. you know? That, I mean, that's what it really comes down to, whether it is grief from a loss, whether it is grief that we're inflicting on ourselves through self-loathing, whether it is grief because we need to let go of something that that we've been for a long time, whatever it is, there's wounding happening there. There's pain and hurt. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. 
Quell a little sigh, and then uh, <laughs> let's let's think about Ella campaign and about lungwort. Yeah. Um, so the little sigh is because in a lot of cultures. Uh, the emotional pattern of grief is really strongly associated with the physical structures of the lungs. Right. And uh, the idea is that grief is centered in the lungs. And of course, when we feel grief, we sigh, we breathe deep, we oh, gotta get through this day, you know? Yeah. So um, so that, that connection makes a lot of sense if you take a little time to ponder it and feel yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like both Ella Campaign and Lungwort, uh, I, I'm referring to pulmonaria here. There's also a... There's a lichen. There's a lichen that is often referred to as Lungwort as well, but here I'm referring to pulmonaria. Um, these two herbs help us with instantiation, right? Like breathing ourselves into the changes that we want to become, making real the ideas that we are trying to embody, um, and that is, it literally is to breathe life into, you know, like that we, all, so many of these things we can find metaphors in our language. And, and, and so I think that's a, a very important one that, that, that concept of to breathe life into something is like when you see, okay, this is what I want to embody. This is the change that I'm trying to make in myself, in the world, in this is the change that I have to make whether I want to or not, you know, like whatever aspect of this we're talking about, you need to breathe life into that change. And, and also while we're at the idiom phase, you also need to breathe through the pain, you know? Right. Um, and so strengthening the function of the lungs um, helps very much on the emotional side of that work. Yeah. Your lungs also, they kind of hug your heart, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, one, the one on the left is like a little bit smaller to make room for the heart. Like yeah. they can fit right in there together. They're spooning. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's true. Right. So Ella campaign, lung war, we, we think about them physiologically, like get some crud out of your lungs, you know, with Ella campaign in particular, that's yeah. a good, like dig the phlegm out kind of expectorant. Um, and sometimes you may feel like you've got a bunch of you know, green, sticky, gross kind of stuff in your emotions that you want to cough up and spit out yes. as well. Shovel out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Ella campaign can help there. And lung work can help there too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, while we're taking a tour of internal organs and connecting them to the grief process, uh, <laughs> we could take a stop at our digestive uh, uh, apparatus. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, there's a few herbs I think of kind of similarly. Think about chamomile, catnip, uh, even sage here, um, you know, uh, these herbs, especially the catnip and chamomile, they have that relaxant quality. They're really great when your guts are all tense and tight and locked in, and mm -hmm. that's in impairing your ability to digest, to absorb and transform, right? right. <laughs> so um, think about that emotionally. Think about mm -hmm. that same pattern happening there. Um, you know, sometimes the idea of letting go, right? We're thinking about grief as a letting go process. We're thinking about Halloween, Samhain is this time of allowing things to die, you know, giving death to things that, that don't, we don't need anymore, don't serve us anymore. And sometimes that idea of letting go can make you feel a lot of fear. And sometimes that feels kind of nauseating, like I'm going to throw up because this yeah. is just too much, right? 
um, it can feel like this kind of rising feeling in the stomach, and that's really when catnip is, is super indicated. But, but any of these, you know, catnip, chamomile, other digestive herbs that bring soothe, a feeling of, of being soothed to, to your own body, to your mm. own digestion. Um, if you're feeling the discomfort there, choose the herbs that work there. It's yeah. actually very simple. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be more complicated than that. It really can be, my gut's hurt because of my grief. And so gut heal tea, you know, like nobody would tell you that gut heal tea is for grief, but it is, mm-hmm. you know, like it is, it is helpful when it's helpful. And if your grief is tying your guts in knots, then gut heal tea would be helpful or, or any variation on that. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. You know, um, yarrow and St. John's wort are both herbs that we include in gut heal tea sometimes, especially when we want to improve liver function as part of um, digestive stagnation. Mm-hmm. And that is very true in terms of digesting our grief as well. And both of these plants also have an extra aspect of um, protection associated with them, sort of throughout tradition and myth. Um the the lore of both of these plants has a protective aspect physiologically but also psychologically and emotionally um and you know yarrow you hear about achilles and um and the mythology around achilles who was a great warrior and then you'll often learn well um, yarrow is very helpful for healing wounds or for dealing with wounds and so it's battlefield medicine and that's why it's associated with warriors okay yes but also there there just is an emotional armor kind of perspective around yarrow the this this mythology with yarrow about the armor of Achilles and the protect the protection of Achilles and the association of that with Yarrow has been for a really long time, like a super long time. Uh, yeah. um, so there's not nothing there. Um, and I, even if we don't understand necessarily the, the physiological mechanism of action behind it, sometimes we can say, you know what, there is enough anecdotal evidence for this one. I'm going to go with it and I'm going to see if that has that effect in my own body. And in our experience, it absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, uh, and think about St. John's wort a little bit differently. It's a very sunny herb. You know, we, mm. we like to gather it on summer solstice. That's when it's at its peak of potency, um, really carries that energy. And you can also think about the way people take St. John's wort to help out with depression, you know, especially when it's a kind of black cloud, you know, depression, and it's hard to see the light in the world, then this herb can be really helpful there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's obviously definitely a way that grief can manifest, right? It's like, well, without them, what am I, what is the point? You know, yeah. what do I even want around here? Why, why bother? You know? Yeah. So in I those, can't see any sun in my life anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in those moments in particular, St. John's work can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have a very great segue for Blue Vervain. And I think that's fine because I don't need to control every segue. Blue <laughs> Vervain would be so proud of me. Wow. Right? Look at you go. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, in the context of grief, we think about... So Blue Vervain's superpower is that it actually helps you let go, helps release tension so, so strongly, so profoundly that 
that it, it releases it not just in your body, but it re- releases it in your mind as well. And so in the context of grief, I think about letting go of what might have been, letting go of what didn't happen, letting go of your expectations or the things that we can't control, um, letting go of uh, the the shields that we've been holding around ourselves to protect us from the hurt that we've experienced through our lives, um, you know, whatever it is that we are letting go of, that is really, really hard work. And if you are like, it's time for me to let go of this, but you're like clamped around it, like some kind of cartoon <laughs> koala bear, I don't know, uh-huh. you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you're like, in your mind, you're like, I, I need to let go of this. And in your body, you're just like, forget it. <laughs> I'm never letting go. Um, then that's where Blue Vervain really can can be of assistance mm-hmm. yeah yeah really relaxant um okay another couple of herbs we wanted to mention here uh goldenrod and jagulan and we can talk about these together um even though one of them gets the coveted title of being an adaptogen and the other one doesn't you know that's fine well <laughs> one is moistening and one is more drying, more drying. And, but yeah, yeah. They're a little bit different yeah, from each other. Yeah. But the overlap that we see here, um, these are both herbs that we think about and we work with when there's a marathon going on. Mm-hmm. And that could be like, actually, we're going to physically work, you know, with our bodies for many hours today and tomorrow and the next day. Uh, or it could be when there's an emotional marathon yeah. <laughs> that we're moving through, right? Um, so I feel like this entire year, uh, we've been reminding each other that it's not a mar- it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. That you can't <laughs> burn yourself out in your activism or in your community support work or other things because we're going to need to keep going. It's not just this one crisis that's all the headlines right today. It's the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. And uh, that can that can wear you down. That can make you feel like, oh, how am I ever going to keep on moving through all of it? And a very similar experience can happen with grief, right? Right. Um, it doesn't all happen in a two-week sprint, you know. <laughs> uh, it's not something that you're going to just, you know, really push through and then be done with. Um, grief can surprise you. It can it can jump up at, at moments you don't expect. Uh, and, you know, you can suddenly realize that, wow, I thought I was getting over it or I thought I had processed it, but it's still really immediate for me yeah. in these ways. In, in a surprising way that hasn't been true for the last 10 days. Yeah. And now suddenly it is real and immediate in my face and, like, I feel shocked about that because hold on a second, I've been fine for 10 days now, (laughs) you know, like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So when it feels like a marathon, when it feels like this long running thing, then, um, Jagulan I'll talk about that can be really helpful, um, to, to give you some stamina, you know, where Mm -hmm. you're feeling like I'm at the last edge of my energy reserves and I'm not sure where the rest is going to come from. You can work with Jagulan that kind of helps you to, to access some stores and, and move through them. But it's, it's, a little different than just that because it's it's access, accessing that energy but also helping you to generate more or to keep things working efficiently internally uh, so that you can and I do mean this on a physical level but also a mental and emotional one yeah. um, uh, at the same time. Jagulan has a moistening aspect also so right. if you are feeling dried out from your grief or like parched or like um, you've been grieving for so long that that like emotionally you look like those pictures of the desert with the cracks in between this the like chunks of sand um then geogon can be a good choice there goldenrod is a little more drying so if you are feeling like uh you are still crying 
<laughs> like again and you you wish that maybe that that the tears would dry up a little bit and you know that kind of if your grief and pain feels very boggy very like swampy um then goldenrod might be the better choice um to me goldenrod like there is this scene in a movie called a knight's tale um where the character uh the there's a character of jeffrey chaucer and um at some point he is walking naked in like on a path in a field and he had been gambling and he like literally lost the shirt off his back and the other character is like what are you doing and and he says i'm trudging and you know in his british accent and everything and and the guy was like what is trudging and he was like trudging to trudge like the determined walk of a man who has nothing left or something something like that <laughs> yeah. um and that was a funny scene uh, but like that is also a reality in life when it's like the only thing to do is keep going yeah um and that's that's when i think about golden run yeah 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 absolutely all right um i have another little group of verbs to think about here and these are in the realm of dreaming so the reason I, I think about these in, in the connection to grief is that you don't do all of your emotional processing while you're awake. You don't do all of it while you're on your meditation cushion. You don't do all of it intentionally. Um, and it's probably a good thing because it is a lot of work. And if we had to do all of it consciously, most of us wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> also, you so, might explode. Yeah, like... yeah. It could, be, it could be really hard. So, you know, we do a lot of emotional processing unconsciously. And a lot of that happens while we sleep and especially while we dream. There's been a lot of investigation into dreaming as, uh, as, a, as critical for emotional regulation, um, mm -hmm. that if we actively deprive people of REM sleep when you're, when you're dreaming, even if they are allowed to have the other, t other forms or other stages of sleep, they will start to become more emotionally fragile, more likely to lash out, more likely to burst into tears, you know? So... Dreaming can be really important. If we're dealing with grief, then sleep itself could be really important, and we could look into a whole range of herbs to improve sleep there. That could be really necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also about herbs to to work in dreaming and to even intentionally, you know, not every single day, but maybe once a week or maybe when it's on a, on a particular day that you set aside, you want to do some dream work. And mugwort is a really helpful herb mm -hmm. for that kind of effort. Mugwort... Um, it can often enhance your dreaming experience a little bit, um, which uh, we're thinking they're mainly about dream recall, but uh, that also connects to the actual act of having the, the REM sleep and having the, the brain activity and, yeah. and uh, the emotional processing that occurs there. So dreaming, uh, dreaming is enhanced by mugwort, uh, deepened, strengthened. I, I feel there's a, a phrase that we use a lot when we talk about mugwort and dreaming that is... Um, it can it can give you agency in your dreams, which is a little bit different than saying lucid dreaming. A lot of people are familiar with the concept of lucid dreaming, um, but I I actually prefer thinking about it in terms of agency in the dream, which is to say that you have some awareness, some consciousness to be able to make some choices in your dream, hmm. and um, I have been working with mugwort in my awake time lately um lately like over the past i don't know maybe nine months 
Um, and I don't have a good explanation for this part yet, but I do feel it very strongly. And I feel like it's an, an important thing to share that there is also an, like an increase of agency when you're awake as well with mugwort like this or in other words this is a way that mugwort can help you not only when you're dreaming and yeah. definitely when you are dreaming but also this sort of increased agency increased ability to make some decisions for yourself um increased awareness of what is going on and how you are going to respond to it possibly differently than you have done in the past that is a place where mugwort has been really helpful for me um through, through this almost year now. And um, I didn't intentionally set out to discover that thing. Um, but over this year, that has been becoming very, very obvious to me. So this is a way in which I am becoming more intentional in my exploration of mugwort, both in my experience, but now like moving outward towards other people's experiences. So mm. even though this is not yet something that I'm ready to kind of like lock down, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, it is something that I want to share because, um, because I have been working in this way for a while now. And so I think that it's particularly helpful in, in the realm of dealing with grief and dealing with change. Yeah. So I want to share yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, Mugwort has these strong associations with the moon, and the moon changes all the time. We can yeah. see it, right? The moon goes through a dark phase every single month, and, uh, you know, uh, Mugwort has a strong connection to the moon. We can we can learn moony ways <laughs> by working yes. with this plant. Yes, yes. Um, and just allow ourselves to pass into darkness sometimes and know that we're going to come back into the light again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another herb I think about... Um, with connections to, to dreaming and to this kind of emotional processing work is uh, this plant called bittergrass. A lot of folks refer to it as Aztec dream herb. Um, the Latin is Calea Zacatatici. Um, but the, the, um, the indigenous term there, the Zacatatici, that, that means bittergrass. So um, when I refer to that plant, I just translate it into English and, <laughs> and call mm -hmm. it that way. Um, so this plant... Um, it's, it's another herb that, that affects dreaming, but quite differently from the way that mugwort does. Um, the effects of bittergrass are most notable, or most noticeable, in the time where you're transitioning from being awake to dreaming. So this is referred to as the hypnagogic uh, state, or the hypnagogic transition. Um, and that is a, it's an in-between period. It's a liminal space. Um, yeah. when you work with bitter grass, either when you go into dreaming or I've also done this in, um, a flotation tank. So there's a spot in Boston where you can go and, uh, get into a, a closed flotation tank and it's completely dark inside and the water temperature is about the temperature of your skin. So, and it's really salty, right? So you, it's like the dead sea in there. So you float uh, pretty high in the water and the idea is you can go inside and, lay back in the water and float uh, easily and as you stay there for a while and be still uh, you're you start to be able to feel the line between the water and the air much less and so it's almost as if you're floating in in emptiness um, so I've I've brought bitter grass into that uh, experience with me a few times and found the same kind of experience happening there mm -hmm. um, as you get when you're 
when you're laying down to go to sleep. So <clears throat> it's a, like I said, a liminal space, uh, a place between, um, and that can be a really powerful place to do this kind of processing work, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not so stuck in your in your day and your habits in normality and reality you know in, yeah. in things as they are and so that can help you to do work uh that connects you to things that weren't or that could have been uh or that might be um so i, I feel like it moves you into a place that's really potent um and enables a lot of a lot of transformation to occur mm. yeah uh, one other that I'll just mention briefly here is Bittersweet Nightshade. Um, and right there in the name is something really important. It's in the name, it's also in the flavor of the plant. Uh, the combination of bitterness and sweetness um, is something that I think is, is really important about that particular plant. Bittersweet Nightshade is an herb that not too many herbalists are working with for like physiological purposes um, or really any purposes uh, in my experience. It has um, a, a traditional application, especially topically, um, is in cases of eczema and stuff like that. Right. But, but yeah, I, I, this is a plant that you particularly love and I, this was not even a plant that I knew until, <laughs> until you really got into it. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's one of those plants that has this connection. And this is also, I think, interesting, a connection between your liver and your skin. So think about that as like an in inward part of yourself where there's a lot of processing and transformation mm. going on in the liver. Detoxification is the way we often speak about that. Um, and then there's a reflection of that on your surface, on your most outward presentation. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I don't need to beat the metaphors to death there, but... When I think about bittersweet nightshade, I think about all of those things together, right? Mm -hmm. Tasting bitterness and sweetness at the same time. Having some internal transformation and seeing the effects of that in our outward face. Um, <clears throat> there's also some tradition of working with bittersweet nightshade uh, in more spiritual or emotional contexts for work between the worlds. So again, I think about that similarly to the the kind of hypnagogia with bitter grass or the dreaming work we do with mugwort. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, especially around Halloween, you may want to speak to some spirits. You may want to speak to some departed people. And you can mean that in whatever way that works for you. Uh, right. It can be very like rationalist. Well, okay, I can have mental con conversations with people who are gone and try to I remember them. I can access them and, my memories. Yeah, right? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Or you could mean it in a much more... Nope, I literally mean talk to the spirits yeah. <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, it's you know? great because the plants are not going to judge you based on like w what your ideas are. They're just going to help you do what you got to do. And um, you can get that done with many different perspectives on the work. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, so that can be some kind of dark work, um, shadow work, you know, really, really powerful. Um, but very necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, so before we close on that note, I would like to say that uh, it can be helpful to have something to help you transition back out of that work uh, yeah. once you've kind of done it and then closed the space and closed the circle and done all of that kind of thing. Um, and this is a place where I would want to reach for vanilla. I've been thinking about vanilla a lot the last week. Yes, um, it is so bit on your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but vanilla is just such an uplifting, uh, exuberant uh, plant. It, it really, it lifts your heart. It lifts your mood. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, smells nice, tastes good. <laughs> yeah. You know, you may choose to deliver your vanilla in the form of some uh, brownies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's whatever. It's not illegitimate. <laughs> yeah, it can be cake, it can be, uh, you know, whatever form your vanilla comes in, that's okay. But you can just tincture vanilla and, and work with it that way. Yeah, have the smell of it. You know, you know speaking of that, um, where this is work that doesn't happen overnight and that pops up in many forms... Um, it's worth thinking about how are we going to work with the herbs for this. And so um, I I feel pretty strongly about tea, always, y'all probably know that by now. <laughs> I always feel strongly about tea, and it is strongly positive. Yeah, you can't tell, but there's actually four different teacups of hers in this room right now. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Um, they all have stuff in them and i am drinking (laughs) drinking all of it actively yes okay (laughs) anyway um i feel strongly about tea and tea is going to be a really excellent way to incorporate herbs in this long-term work in the work that in the acknowledgement that this does not happen overnight in the long-term building of stamina to do the work of um you know breathing into the change of, of all those kinds of things tea is a really excellent method um to deliver those herbs but because it's going to be with you every day yeah you know yeah 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 it should be with you every day make sure that it's with you yeah (laughs) Yeah. but then also this is a place where i feel really strongly about elixirs um not just tinctures but outright elixirs actually um so an elixir is a tincture with a sweet thing added to it uh in our world that is honey um and honey that is infused with plants so um so the idea here is that you have it with you you can carry it with you because sometimes grief jumps out from behind whatever and you're like ah (laughs) (laughs) and then you're like oh no (laughs) and you need to reach for something very quickly and sometimes um vulnerability does that and sometimes fear does that and anger you know whatever any of our emotions can but especially when we're working around things that that incorporate grief that incorporate hurt and pain um that can pop up even when we think we're okay so it's important to have something with you all the time just an acknowledgement that oh yeah this stuff pops up sometimes unexpected yeah and and the idea of having it be an elixir is even though I am um... like this whole cut cast this whole pod we've been talking about like you've got to have bitter in your life you've got to like yeah got to face the tough stuff you know yeah and how <laughs> dare we cover over halloween with candy and like whatever right. okay but actually a little bit of sweet does help it it does help soothe you through it you know like so in the acknowledgement that we are facing this bitter work um it is not wrong to bring some sweetness into that to sustain you as you do the work yeah um and so uh, you know, any of these herbs could be made into a lovely elixir. And if there are herbs in this list that you want to work on and you're thinking what part would be the sweet part, um, it is almost always easy to get rose glycerate um, or to infuse rose petals in honey, which which is what I prefer. I'm not a huge fan of glycerates, but, um, but rose glycerate... It, it's pretty effective and it's widely available. So if you were going to make a a blend of tincture of some of these plants, 
to support you and you were like, well, I don't have any herb infused honey right now. What am I going to do to put some sweetness into this? Then you could bring in some rose glycerate um, be because all of us could use a little place of protection while we're doing this work. So the rose is sort of very widely applicable, also very delicious. Um, and that can bring the sweetness in. Uh, but you can infuse any of these herbs into honey. In order to infuse it into honey, you have to have fresh herb. It won't work with dried herb. It works only with fresh herb because the way that the extraction is happening in the honey is that it is literally sucking all the fluid out of the plant matter that you're putting in. Mm. And a dry, dry plant matter doesn't have any fluid in it for the honey to suck out. So... Um, so in this case, we want to work with fresh plant, but any of these that you have fresh, you can pop into honey and, um, and then let that be the sweet part of your elixir. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Whew. Well, <laughs> that was, that was the journey of transformation. So thanks for yeah. being there with us. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for this week. So we'll be back next week with some more holistic herbalism podcast for you. Yeah. And maybe uh, something a little lighter. Yeah, <laughs> could be, could be, we'll see, yeah. yeah. Uh, so until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and drink some tea. Drink some tea, have some elixir, <laughs> do what you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah, take care.